Every year, thousands of men, including many over age 50, seek out a bed in the shelter system of Canada's largest city, or even sleep outdoors. With us now to better understand the lives of these older men, from the city's downtown core, we're joined by Lauro Montero. He's executive director of Haven Toronto. That's a drop-in centre for older homeless males. And Laurel, thanks for spending some time with us tonight on TVO. How are you managing? Uh, well, managing okay, but thank you uh, for having me. The drop-in centre that you run specifically serves men who are over the age of 50 and who are homeless. And let's start there. What is distinctive about this particular cohort? Well, uh, probably the most significant is that they're the largest group of uh, people who are homeless uh, not only in Toronto, but in every major uh, urban center in North America. Um, so just the sheer numbers, but also they're very unique. Um, they have very unique needs. They have very unique circumstances. And um, there are no other agencies in Canada that actually serve this population. Uh, generally, most programs for the homeless um, are universal, meaning anyone can access them. Some are targeted, obviously, to specific groups, um, but there are there is no one else exclusively dedicated to the, this group, even though they're the largest segment of the population. Well, let's follow up on that. You say they're unique, unique in circumstances, unique in needs. How so? Uh, uh, both, uh, certainly in in, in needs. Um, you know, their needs are very unique. Uh, you know, we, we use the term unequal aging. Uh, so the average age of a man that comes through our doors for the first time is 57 years old. Uh, and we have men in their 70s, men in their, in their 80s. Uh, the vast majority of them are homeless, about 80% of them. About 65% are people that are uh, men that are in the shelter system. Uh, and we have about 20% who are men who are sleeping uh, rough, meaning they sleep out, outdoors. Um, so to many of your viewers, intuitively, we would all understand as we get older, uh, we endure certain hardships, whether they're physical, whether they're cognitive. Uh, now imagine uh, trying to be homeless. Uh, and most of the men that we see here uh, are homeless for the first time in their lives. Um, so that makes it very unique because, you know, they've had lives, they've been employed, many of them may have had families. Uh, and late in life, a circumstance happens and they find themselves homeless. Uh, no, no place to live, they don't know where to go for the by and large, you know, uh, have obviously no income. We have surprisingly about 14% of the men who walk in here for the first time have absolutely no income, zero. Hmm. Well, I suspect most of the people who are watching this who are over the age of 50 do not consider themselves quote unquote elderly, but I gather mm -hmm. you do. 50 is considered elderly in your line of work. Why is that? It is. Uh, well, it's, uh, we know from uh, numerous researches all over the world that if you're homeless, you're going to be chronologically about 14 to 17 years older than your age. So that 57-year-old man who walks in here for the first time is going to have medical conditions associated with generally 
a person in their 70s. There was a recent study uh, out of the University of California in San Francisco where they did 500 homeless people over the age of 50, and the vast majority of them uh, had medical issues normally associated with uh, geriatric conditions for people in their 80s. Oof, that's so, what living on the street can do to you, eh? Yeah, well, the uh, the average life expectancy for anyone who's homeless is uh, about 42 years old in Canada. Hmm. So imagine uh, at 57, you find yourself homeless. Um, and that's where the term unequal aging comes in. Uh, if you remain homeless, uh, you're going to decline medically and cognitively at a very significant rate over and above the average uh, person of your age. Their mortality rates are about four times the average population. Most of the men that we see access emergency uh, departments of hospitals at nine times the rate of their counterparts mm -hmm. in the community. So it's a very precarious, hard, hard life for someone who is older. Uh, so while often the perception is that someone in their 50s is youthful, when you factor in uh, that you're homeless, it, it changes it quite significantly. Um, so the interventions, the types of things that you're going to need are very different uh, than what your counterparts are going to need in the community. Sure. Let's show a little clip here because uh, TVO actually aired a, uh, a little documentary on your center back in 2015. It was called The Good Neighbors Club back then. So let's yes. take a, a short snippet uh, of a profile of one of your clients of the day. Sheldon, if you would, roll it, please. I welded for the factory for about 12 years. I installed carpet for 22 years, wall-to-wall -wall custom carpet. I got hurt at work in a car accident where my knee got damaged so I couldn't install carpet anymore. I went from a 90, $80,000, $90,000 a year job to uh, living in a hostel. You know, that broke my heart. When you go from your bed into a hostel with 80 other people, you don't have a relationship with your granddaughter or your, your kids anymore. Um, it's like climbing down a staircase. It's easy to climb down, but turn around and try to run back up. It's a, it's a harder climb. Laurel, I think we need some explanation there because I suspect so many people can't understand how you go from leading a good life with a good job, making a good income, to suddenly being homeless. What's the story there? Well, uh, it's easy. Uh, you know, we, we often hear people say you're only one or two paychecks away from being homeless. Um, the reality that I see here every single day, and I've been doing this now for 12 years, is his story uh, is very common, very common, um, you know, and it's becoming increasingly uh, common. I think people uh, associate homelessness generally uh, as a, a failing of the person. They either had mental health issues or they had addictions issues, um, and that's how they became homeless. And and that's not. Uh, the experience that I have seen in the, over a decade of working here, most of it is having to do with income and housing affordability. Um, and it doesn't take uh, much to get you um, out of the lifestyle that he just described. I mean, I see it here every single day. You know, we see about 400 new men here every single year. 
um, and the vast majority would be very similar to Greg's. They, they had jobs, they had lives, um, and that one precipitating event created a cascade that quickly got them into homelessness. And most people don't think it can happen that fast. But, well, uh, let's take a wider look at what homelessness looks like in a big city, because uh, in April 2021, over a few day period of time, the city of Toronto went out and they tried they tried to count the number of homeless people in the capital city of Ontario. And again, yeah. Sheldon, bring this graphic up and let's show people what they found. They found more than 7000 people were experiencing homelessness in the city of Toronto and that 90 percent of the people experiencing homelessness were staying in shelters. 10% were sleeping outdoors. And we should say parenthetically, outdoor homelessness has increased by almost 40% since 2018, the last time the survey was done. The numbers were counted at the peak of the third wave of COVID-19 when about 20 shelters in the city were experiencing outbreaks. Let's go on. 63% of people experiencing homelessness identified as men, 34% women. 77% reported being chronically homeless, meaning they'd been homeless for six months or more of the past year. And more than one third of respondents reported being homeless for more than five years. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's pick up on some of this. Sure. Uh, why are people, why are some people homeless for such lengthy periods of time? Well, the bottleneck is a lack of deeply affordable housing. Uh, there's just no place uh, left virtually uh, in cities like Toronto and may, many cities across uh, Ontario. It's not unique uh, to Toronto. And I would just say those numbers are, are quite underreported. Um, you think it's more than 7,000? Yeah, all, all of those numbers, in fact. Point in time counts are mandated by the federal government for all municipalities. Um, but they, they have limitations, and particularly when it comes to outdoor uh, sleepers, because they're just done generally every three to four years. They're done on one or two days using volunteers, and they don't cover uh, a, a broad basis. Uh, so those numbers are, are quite uh, low. Uh, hmm. In Toronto, for example, uh, you know, there's well over 10,000 people tonight who will be homeless. Now, how do you know that? Yeah, there's people in shelters. Uh, the rough sleeping numbers are completely underreported. But then we have a, a third trunk of people that are homeless, uh, who are people who find themselves uh, sleeping on friends' couches, bouncing around from family to family member or, or to a friend's house. There's this whole group of invisible people that are never captured in, in these counts. So even though they've got a roof over their head, you would count them among the homeless population of our province? Yes, because they're not permanently housed. So that's generally the consensus, right? They, they don't have their own uh, shelter. Um, they're reliant on other people and they, and they move, move around. Um, so, and numbers have become, especially in Toronto, have become quite weaponized. Um, so there's been lots of debate over the years about what are actually the numbers of people that are homeless. And I tend to answer that by telling people we actually don't know. So I think that's a more honest and, and truthful picture. Uh, and that's part of the, the problem is, is how do you count? Point in time counts are currently the only tool that's available, uh, but it grossly misrepresents, I think, the actual scale of the problem 
uh, in most cities. It's not unique to Toronto. Okay. We're just I know you than- touched on this. Sorry, forgive me. I know you touched on this a second ago, but I, I, I want to circle back to it and see if we can nail this down a little more. The, I suspect the assumption that most people watching this would have is that of that more than 10,000 people that you described as being homeless a second ago, the vast mm-hmm. majority of them would either be suffering from mental health issues or addictions. True or false? I wouldn't say the vast majority. Uh, uh, there is a significant portion of people who do have mental health and addictions. Um, but I really like to steer people away from that because that just perpetuates uh, the notion that there's some failing on the part of these people. Uh, and that's not the case. I, I, you know, I came to this career late in my professional life and I was astounded um, how many people are, it's really because of income and housing affordability and those two intersections. Uh, many, many men that we see don't come to us with mental health or addictions issues, but they certainly develop them. Uh, I remember once reading a study that said, you know, after being homeless three months, um, you're going to likely develop depression. So we certainly see it. And then, you know, to your earlier point, um, that's why you see such a bottleneck of uh, the unavailability of housing, getting people. Shelters have become de facto housing. That's the reality. Um, and, and, and the numbers are going to continue to grow uh, because the deeply affordable housing stock is not available. Uh, and homelessness uh, in Ontario is not going to be solved by building uh, more deeply affordable housing. Uh, we can't build enough and we can't build fast enough. Uh, so we have to look at much broader uh, policy issues to address this because, um, you know, when I've, I've only been here 12 years, in that short period of time, trying to find housing that men can afford that are on social assistance is, is become almost non-existent. Uh, and well, you may have answered this question. Sorry, you may have answered this question in, in that last answer, but let's just be sure here, because the, the Toronto survey also indicated that 15% of people experiencing homelessness are Indigenous. And of course, yes. the Indigenous population is only 2.5%. So, you know, they're suffering quite disproportionately. Uh, yeah. same, same issue, like 60% racialized and that is of course disproportionate suffering as well so maybe you could help us understand why why those communities in particular are suffering such disproportionate homelessness sure and, and i would add indigenous uh, folks are also overrepresented in the homeless population yeah that, that was the first uh, yeah. number i gave sorry uh you know so the, those are structural causes so it's it's racism it's deinstitutionalization it's colonialism uh, you know, in, in certain sectors, it's about intimate partner violence, so, you know, women fl- fleeing abusive situations. Uh, so the, the reasons, uh, you know, um, they're structural. Gotcha. And um, this feels like a particularly timely time to ask this question. It was minus 20 the other day. How does anybody survive in the streets when it's minus 20? Yeah, it's hard for any of us uh, uh, to imagine. And, and you know, I, I struggle with it since we have, you know, uh, here over 20% of our guys 
are sleeping uh, uh, rough. Uh, it's it's amazing uh, to me that we don't see more deaths. Um, although we have seen uh, a record, 2021 was the the a record breaker for people who uh, who died that were homeless. Uh, as a matter of fact, today in Toronto we have a monthly memorial for uh, people who have died homeless, and, and you know they're seeing quadrupling of the numbers of people that are being added to that memorial. And last year in the shelter system in Toronto, uh, over 180 people died uh, that were homeless. So, you know, and outreach programs are out there, but they're like many services, they're a patch quilt. We have, you know, Streets to Homes, which is the city program, which is a couple of vans and some folks running around into ravines and parks and encampments. Um, there are a few agencies, Salvation Army does it, a couple of our Aboriginal partners are out there, but in a city as large as Toronto, um, it's hard to have, and we don't really have uh, adequate outreach that can get to all of these people. But, but Laurel, I would have to assume that if, if somebody on a night where it's minus 20 doesn't want to go to a shelter, Mm -hmm. They believe that the shelters are even worse than sleeping outdoors in minus 20? Yep, I would absolutely uh, agree. Yes, I, I so have So what's many going on men. in the shelters that would be that awful that it's it's better to sleep outdoors in minus 20? Yeah, well, uh, for, for older men uh, particularly, uh, it's, it's their vulnerability. Uh, you know, I, I routinely hear uh, every day almost uh, men coming here saying that they were assaulted, uh, they were robbed of their possessions, uh, you know, and, and the pandemic and COVID has created uh, and exacerbated that problem. It's part of the reason, you know, in Toronto, for most of your viewers, we've had issues with encampments is because people would rather be outdoors than have to go into, into shelters. Um, you know, our, prior to the pandemic, many of our men uh, I have guys who have been here for five, six, seven, eight years. I have a few that have been here over a decade that have never, ever gone indoors uh, in a shelter. You know, in, in Toronto, we had a 30-year temporary program where faith groups uh, used to open up their basements called the Out of the Cold program. Um, and they were shut down during the pandemic. Um, and many of our men uh, used those programs because they felt safer in, in those uh, faith group basements uh, rather than having to go. But those were eliminated. So, you know, it's, it's a hard choice. It's a choice I couldn't fathom to, to make. But, yeah. But if the they drop into is, your place, if they drop into your haven, what are they going to mm -hmm. experience there? Well, they're going to experience safety and a welcoming environment that treats them with a lot of dignity, which is not what they always get wherever they, they go. Uh, so we provide the basics of necessity. We provide showers, we provide food, we provide laundry. Uh, we have nursing services here. We have counselors who don't do clinical counseling, but what we do is what we call system navigation we help the men kind of navigate everything from where to get a bed for the night, how to apply for social assistance, uh, deal with the maze of bureaucracy that these men have to face just to get their lives back on, on track. Uh, and, and we provide uh, 
a communal space where you know they can uh, belong where they feel safe uh you know especially with older men you know safety is probably the most important aspect mm -hmm. it's why they like coming here is because for nine hours out of the day they don't have to worry about being assaulted they have a, a level of engagement with peers who are in similar circumstances uh they can hang out watch tv shoot a game but of you pool. can't put them up overnight is that right no drop-in centers uh, were basically created decades ago to fill the void because pre-pandemic shelters were basically a bed for the night and out in the morning you go come back tonight and you'll get another bed maybe uh, so drop-in centers were kind of created to fill these voids what do people do during the day um, you know so we provide a space but there's a purpose to the space that we have here and uh, it becomes their community center. They often refer to this place as their home. I don't refer to it as their home because I don't think this is a home, but they feel that strongly. This is a place where they're valued, where they're respected and, and they can have nine hours where they don't have to spend worrying about um, their own personal safety and and they have people who, who help them in whatever way they choose to to want to get help whether that's getting housing uh, whether that's seeing the nurse for a medical issue you know one of the big barriers that older men face is, is there are barriers to getting health care when you're homeless sure uh, now what about just in our last minute here laurel uh, i i can't imagine how you did what you did during COVID 19. How did you keep your doors open and yet keep people masked and separated and a safe environment and all that? Yeah, well, you know, it's an overused word, but we pivoted constantly. Uh, you know, I heard somebody yesterday uh, use the phrase, it, it was like planning in quicksand. Uh, so we've done whatever we've had to do. You know, we, we rented a huge tent and put it out in our courtyard. So we could provide services outdoors by and large. You know, the only thing that we weren't able to do um, so far in the pandemic was provide that communal space. Uh, but we're continuing to provide hot meals. We're continuing to see people outside. Uh, we're allowing limited groups in to see the nurse, to, to see counseling, to do showers, to do dining. So we've done everything to still be here. Uh, and I'm always uh, stunned at how appreciative the men are um, that we're still here because there are many in the community that are not operating. Laura, I want to thank you for spending so much time with us here tonight on TVO and telling us how you do what you do. Uh, everything about you is admirable with the exception, of course, of that logo over your right shoulder, which uh, I've tried very hard to ignore over the last 20 or so minutes. Uh, but thanks for joining us on TVO tonight. Take good care. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.